Hello, welcome to Destination 2023. This is a series of podcasts designed by Osborne Clark for trustees and employers who are looking to secure their members' benefits with an insurer. I'm Jonathan Hazlett, a partner and the head of pensions at Osborne Clark. And I'm joined today by Rosie Phantom. Rosie is a risk transfer partner at Barnett Waddingham, and she's going to talk to us today about preparing your scheme for the buyout market. Prior to joining Barnett Waddingham, Rosie worked for Scottish Widows and was a founding member of their bulk annuity business. So hopefully she can provide us with views from a number of different perspectives. So Rosie, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Jonathan. It's a pleasure to take part. Okay, so to start off with, I wondered if you could set the scene for our listeners by explaining just why so many schemes are better funded at the moment and are even considering the possibility of buyout. Over 2022, long-term guilt yields rose significantly, and particularly during quarter three, around the time of the mini-budget, and this triggered a period of extreme volatility in the guilt market. For context, 15-year gilts rose by nearly 3% if you look at the start of 2022 to the end of the year. This is a larger shift than any that has been seen in the past 10 years. So why does this matter? Well, pension scheme liabilities uh, fell relative to the scheme's assets, and that for many schemes means that their funding positions have improved. For lots of schemes, that means that insuring liabilities is now affordable or is expected to be affordable much sooner than previously anticipated. And when we say buyout in this context, we're talking about about pursuing a bulk annuity transaction to insure all of the scheme's liabilities. So given that volatility that you described, how can trustees monitor their buyout funding position and when do they know when the right time is to approach the market? A scheme's risk transfer advisor, such as myself, will be able to estimate the buyout position. And that can help trustees and employers to understand the potential transaction affordability. Beyond that, we see that schemes tracking uh, their journey towards buyout using a real-time funding tracker can be really helpful. That real-time monitoring of the funding uh, position can be used to inform the transaction timescales and the planning process for buyout. Now, of course, the true cost of insuring liabilities can only be known once trustees have prepared the scheme for to obtain quotations and have indeed received pricing from insurers. But that funding um, tracking process can be really helpful as an interim step. So as schemes approach being fully funded on buyout, Um, What steps can trustees take to protect that position? So to protect the position, we see that schemes typically need to change their investment strategy. And to do that, we look at a strategy that involves hedging interest rate risks and inflation risks, and then also holding some liquid credit. Now, this type of strategy is designed to broadly match insurers' pricing in order to stabilise the buyout funding position, but it isn't a perfect match. Insurer pricing is influenced by a range of different factors, and indeed, schemes cannot invest to precisely replicate the way that insurers do. And there is a variety of investment strategies that different insurers use. So clearly, it is just not possible to be able to to replicate their strategies exactly. 
but that broad hedge will help to schemes to stabilise their funding position when looking at transactions. OK, so if trustees have a better understanding of their buyout funding position and want to take steps to protect that position via their investment strategy, how do you recommend trustees involve the employers in those discussions and, and, and decision making? We see real benefits of not only having the employer involved when it actually comes to needing to make a decision, but also having them involved through that journey, building that plan towards buyout, which, as we noted, for many will now be being accelerated. So that the stage is set for, for, for collaboration and then for that to continue when it does actually come to decision making. That open dialogue and engagement with key employer stakeholders can be really helpful. And the last six months is an excellent example of where if you've got the foundations right, when schemes finances change quickly, um, those schemes are then able to capitalise on those opportunities. And I would say here that training is really important, both for the trustees, but also for the employer, and particularly for employers where the decision making could connect overseas to an overseas parent, for example, in order to make sure that they're up to speed with the UK pensions landscape. Assuming a trustee board finds itself in that fortunate position where they might be able to proceed with a buyout, um, what are the first steps that trustees should take before formally approaching the market? Well, we encourage trustees and employers to discuss and agree a clear set of transaction objectives. Considering these at the outset can inform the transaction preparations and indeed how best to approach the insurance market. It will also make any decision making much easier as any transaction opportunity can be then assessed against these objectives. And so could you just tell the listeners what a, a typical set of transaction objectives might look like? So at a high level, we typically see that transaction objectives can come in two parts. Some of those might be things that any transaction must meet in order to be considered. And these can include meeting affordability criteria, transacting with an insurer that's of suitable financial strength and having a legally and commercially acceptable bulk annuity contract. And then there are other objectives that might be used to inform insurer selection. For example, looking at which insurer offers the best value pricing, considering whether there's any key contractual terms that the insurer must provide or are helpful for the, the insurer to provide that are important for the scheme. And then whether the insurer can offer any features to help in a control transaction affordability and manage execution risks on the run up to actually completing the transaction. And then finally, you might look at whether there's any specific requirements that would be helpful if the insurer could accommodate. For example, being able to ensure a particularly complex benefit or indeed accommodating some specific transaction timing. OK, so trustees and employer have agreed a set of transaction objectives. What, what information do the trustees need to gather before they can go and get a quotation? OK, there's a couple of different pieces, so I'm just going to step through them. So one of those is a benefit specification, which has been reviewed and approved by the scheme's lawyers. This will also require schemes to consider any benefit discretions and explain how the insurers should price those. The scheme will also need to give the insurers some data about its liabilities, and that needs to be reviewed and suitably cleansed. 
And this doesn't mean that the data needs to be perfect, but most schemes do need to do some data work to prepare. Larger schemes need to give insurers and their reinsurers some information about their membership experience. And that allows um, effectively a refinement of the longevity assumptions that are used in the pricing. And it can indeed lead to more attractive pricing being available from the insurers. Schemes need to give um, the insurers a request for quotation document. That's an important document that basically gives the insurers a series of instructions as to how this transaction is actually going to take place, what the objectives are, the timescales, and indeed the quotations that are required. And then finally, schemes need to think about confidentiality. Um, you're giving member data, admittedly anonymised, to third parties in the insurers. And so it's important to work with your schemed lawyers as to how to navigate the delights of GDPR. Right. So looking at um, each of those things in a bit more detail, you talked about a benefit specification. Could, could you just explain in a bit more detail what that is and why it needs to be approved by the schemes lawyers? So a transaction benefit specification um, is forms part of the contractual documentation and that means that it obligates the insurer to pay to make payments to the scheme by reference to that document. And so there's three main reasons why it's in trustees and employers interest to get it correct. Firstly, because the key feature of the buy-in is, is that it precisely matches the benefits that are owed to members. And so clearly you want to make sure that those cash flows coming in are actually going to match what you have to pay out to your, uh, the scheme's beneficiaries. Secondly, because when it comes to actually converting the buy-in policy to individual policies, trustees will only be discharged from paying benefits to the extent that those benefits have actually been insured. And then thirdly, whilst trustees can make some adjustments to what's been insured initially um, during the post-transaction true-up period, making, those material, making material changes during that period can be more costly and subject to the insurer's consent. So clearly it's better to be, avoid being in this position. We also see that the insurers can actually require schemes to give warranties around the accuracy of the benefit specification. And so making sure that that benefit specification is legally correct, looking at the scheme doc governing documentation at the moment, but also the history can also be really important to be able to actually enter into the buy-in contract. When it comes to scheme data, I think you mentioned that the data doesn't need to be perfect, but what sort of level of review and cleansing would you normally expect at this stage? So we see that there are tools available to help trustees and sponsors assess the transaction readiness of the data. Now, these tools are not necessarily going to identify everything that could possibly need to be done, but the idea of them is to give confidence in the scheme's data or indeed identify areas where targeted data cleansing is required. So the next steps after you've done that transaction data readiness assessment could include focus rectification activities, um, such as gathering specific additional data items or indeed completing more intensive data checks. 
As I mentioned, dealing with material data corrections post-transaction can be costly. So it is worthwhile doing some of this data investigations upfront beforehand. And indeed, insurers will look for schemes to explain what they've done to prepare for a transaction and the schemes that can show that they've got a clear, well-presented set of data combined with that legally reviewed benefit specification will make insurers more likely to want to engage in the process. OK, so we've got uh, a legally reviewed benefit specification, clean data. Um, when it comes to the uh, RFQ document itself, what, what, what typically would that contain? So the RFQ is a really important document. It brings everything together for the insurers. You could think of it like an introduction to the proposed transaction and an instruction manual for them to provide the trustees with the information that's required. So we typically see that an RFQ includes some information about how to keep the material that they've been provided with confidential. It gives some background to the scheme, the employers, the advisors involved and the anticipated transaction. It then also importantly sets out how the transaction decisions are going to be made, the transaction objectives and indeed gives an overview of the tender process and the planned timescales. And then it will signpost to the information that runs alongside the RFQ. So, for example, the transaction benefit specification and the data set, plus any other useful information that has been included for the insurer's benefit. And then, as you might expect, it does actually set out the quotations required from insurers and include some key assumptions that the insurers must make when determining their prices. And that's to standardise the quotations that you get from insurers and to make sure that you get comparable responses. Well, that's been really helpful, Rosie. Thank you. I think we've got a good idea now of the steps required to get a scheme buyout ready. I wondered if you might just finish the podcast just with your top tip for how trustees and employers can achieve a good transaction outcome. So I would say that collaboration is absolutely crucial here, not just between the trustees and their advisors, but also recognising that this is involved, this needs to involve the employer and indeed all of the employer stakeholders too, and then to bring the insurers on that journey so that it's a proper collaborative effort across all of the parties that are involved. That's a great tip, Rosie. Thanks very much. I think that brings us to the end of today's podcast. I'd like to thank everyone for listening and please do contact me or your usual OC contact if you'd like to know more about preparing your scheme for buyout. Rosie has also kindly agreed to leave her contact details, which you'll find alongside the link to this podcast. I do hope you'll join us for the next instalment of our Destination podcast series, where my colleague Carol Dick will be talking to Adolfo Aponte of Cardano about why insurance is seen as the gold standard for securing members' benefits. Thank you very much for listening.